listening to the DC Public Library podcast recorded from the lab's recording studio in the historic modernized Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in downtown Washington, DC. This is Ninth and G. Hello, I'm your host, Ryan Williams. In this episode, we'll talk to Gil Robertson, president and founder of the African-American Film Critics Association, an entertainment journalist and author. Gil gives his inside take on this extended award season for motion pictures, as well as the honors being awarded by his organization. Gil, welcome to Ninth and G. Thank you, Ryan. So we've known each other for close to 15 years, and you're always someone I, I consider not just a friend, but an expert when I'm trying to figure out what's happening in Hollywood. Uh, usually around this time, you and I will be having a very good, deep conversation about an award season that was. And what always seems to be a lesson for Hollywood after the awards are given out. Now we're seeing an Oscar broadcast in late April and the Screen Actors Guild Award this coming weekend. Explain to listeners why the change. Well, uh, because of COVID and COVID um, as it did with everything else in the world, it just made people have to uh, adjust. And because of, um, well, two things, because, uh, you know, no one knew when the pandemic would end. And I know the hope was always that, that the film industry would have some sort of, of uh, regular season, meaning the theaters would be open and people would return to them the way that we have, uh, like in the past, that, you know, that never came to fruition. And then just with, um, so the number of, so therefore the number of films that would have normally been released in a calendar year uh, weren't. And then, you know, award season, much like, you know, uh, lots of different awards in lots of different industries, you know, normally take place uh, in a uh, environment where people congregate, you know, and given the um, realities around congregating in the age of COVID, uh, I think the hope was that, you know, let's see how far back we can push it and maybe medicine or circumstances would change enough for people to be able to return in person. You know, that is not going to take place. It's going to be more of a hybrid type situation with, you know, like we've seen with other big shows, uh, the Grammys and uh, the Emmys, where you'll see, you know, um, clusters of people together, small clusters, but you certainly won't see the hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, in a room, uh, you know, just congregating and fellowshipping around the idea of giving out these awards. So for those, those two are, are primarily the main uh, reasons why it's in April this year. Gil, the, um, the Wall Street Journal dropped some surprising st statistics around the motion picture industry. I want to go through a few of these and, and hear your responses to them. Uh, the number of subscriptions to online video streaming services, so those are your Netflix, HBO Max, Disney Plus, reached 1.1 billion in 2020. In the US alone, the number of streaming subscriptions rose by 32% last year to a total of 308.6 million dollars. So while box office revenues sank globally, streaming and online rentals jumped up to 61 billion. That's an increase 
of about $14 billion in 2019. What do those numbers tell you? There's a changing of the guard. I mean, uh, streamers represent a new model that um, uh, the traditional studios are going to have to adapt to and follow because uh, it's where, where we're at right now. It's where we're at moving forward. And unless they uh, uh, move so move in that direction quickly, they'll, you know, find themselves, uh, you know, not in the game. Right. And what do you see uh, in terms as we start to uh, forecast the uh, a post pandemic era? What do you presume will be the future of the classic movie theater? I mean, certainly people will always want to, uh, you know, no one's going to abandon completely the movie going experience, but I do think that uh, a year into, you know, learning how to uh, watch films at home and, you know, have given people a different uh, appreciation for the movies. And uh, what would you rather do? Would you rather, uh, watch a film in the comfort of your home, you know, on a 60, you know, 50 uh, inch screen, you know, where you can pour yourself a cocktail, you know, uh, have a 50 cent bag of popcorn. Right. <laughs> and also Instead of a $50 cent right, right. bag of popcorn. Yes. <laughs> you know, and also press the pause button, you know, if a friend calls or if you want to rewind it and watch the scene over again, so, I mean, people have, uh, I think, have become um, um, used to uh, experiencing movies differently. Now, uh, certainly there'll be those, those event films, those tent poles, where going into a theater with, uh, with other people might, you know, might add to that experience. But I think for the most part, it's gonna be challenging. It's going to be challenging for, you know, the exhibitors and for the traditional studios to uh, regain that market share. Right. And what do you think that does for um, independent film? You know, those those groups that are that, you know, uh, uh, even in independent theaters uh, have uh, don't have the same level in terms of budgets uh, and even in terms of the, the artistry of their work. Uh, is meant for smaller audiences. It's meant for more intimate gatherings than than what the major motion pictures typically do. I mean, the art houses, because they do service a niche market, they may be able to come up with some, you know, um, strategies that will, you know, keep them going. But I think they'll find it difficult too, because, you know, people became really, really innovative during the pandemic, and so. You know, a lot of uh, organizations and platforms uh, can now serve up, you know, an independent or an art film, you know, complete with, you know, the post conversation with the directors. Um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. I don't think that, you know, that the, the market is going to disappear completely. But I'm doubtful that it's ever going to recapture, you know, its former glory. And then, lastly, just from an industry perspective, the the uh, 
I think of our usual conversations around this time, as I said at the start, um, we would we'd be talking about the award shows that just completed, but then we'd have a conversation about the film festivals and what's to come and what folks are generally more excited about uh, in, you know, ahead of attending a Sundance or, or, or going out to, to parts of Europe and, and, and throughout the, the Midwest, as far as these film festivals are concerned, um, have they all converted to this Zoom-like environment that, are they preparing for the Zoom-like environment that we all are doing on our day-to-day -day jobs? Well, yeah, I mean, much like, you know, um, yeah, and much like, you know, our organization, NABJ, I mean, everybody has had to adjust, has had to adapt, has had to, um, you know, come up with a, 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 an alternate game plan because um, because of the way, you know, uh, you know, COVID-19 spreads, I mean, you just can't, uh, you know, gatherings are prohibited. Right. And so how else are you going to have that experience or share that information uh, offer those opportunities, which are all things that you get from film festivals, unless you do it, you know, in a virtual setting. Right. I mean, last year, you know, uh, South by Southwest was slaughtered, you know, financially because it literally landed right on top of it, you know, in terms of the country, you know, shutting down, you know, and the same thing for Tribeca, you know, but by the time we got around to the fall festivals to Telluride, which was canceled, and TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, they had kind of figured out how to, you know, this whole Zoom festival had sort of sprung up and, you know, people were, were working with it because they had no choice. But those many um, of the festivals though are also, in addition, an opportunity to, to gauge a sense of what viewers are feeling about that film. It's also a negotiation from a business perspective of seeing who's going to distribute those films. Oh, most definitely. I mean, yeah, opportunity is the whole reason why anyone really goes to a festival. And certainly the bottom line at any uh, serious festival is the deal. Right. And I mean, uh, film festivals are essentially marketplaces where, you know, uh, filmmakers and film distributors go to conduct business. You know, and so, um, you know, given that the framework was different the past year, uh, it made it a lot more difficult, I'm sure, for, um, for both sides, for the filmmaker to be able to, you know, expose their, uh, their IP to, uh, to cinephiles and to the film community. And at the same time, you know, those distributors couldn't really properly gauge, you know, the audience response to movies without being able to witness, you know, have that experience of watching an audience, you know, follow it, watch it. Right. You know, but I mean, like everything, you know, we're, humans are very resilient. And so we learn how to adapt and how to accommodate things in our lives uh, so that we can keep moving forward. That's right. You, you mentioned a, a great number of the, the active film festivals, especially ones where, where the industry is paying attention in terms of, of distribution. But um, uh, 
in those years in which you have attended those film festivals, you noticed a lack of representation as it, relate, as it relates to um, uh, entertainment journalists and specifically film critics. Um, speak to uh, where you were at that time when you, you decided to act in, um, and develop an organization like the African-American Film Critics Association. Wow, back in 2003 or prior to 2003, when we created uh, AFCA, myself and six other members, our founders, um, I mean, it was, it was a pretty desolate place in terms of color, you know, both on, uh, in terms of, you know, the uh, journalist community that, um, that on a day-to-day, you know, interacts with the studio systems and the distributors and the filmmakers. And certainly, you know, at the film festivals, um, you know, there was a dearth of, uh, of representation uh, of people of color. And, um, you know, in response to that was really uh, why, you know, the organization was started. I mean, for me, I was lucky. I was one of the more successful ones. I was able to um, navigate through that system in such a way that uh, gave me profile and also, you know, gave me access to talent and opportunities to, uh, you know, to make a living, right. you know, because that's, that's what I was doing at that time. Um, but most people probably aren't as resourceful, or I know they're not, as I am. Uh, and then the fact that I'm based in LA, you know, certainly helped out, you know, I was right there in, in the middle of it. And speak to that if you can, um, you know, for, for those who may be listening and, and, and think themselves an amateur film critic, uh, you know, maybe they actively tweet following a, you know, coming out of the movie theater or, or after now after a streaming movie theater about what their thoughts are uh, around the film. Tell, tell the audience um, what it takes to be called a film critic. Oh my God, it takes a, um, doing it, reviewing movies because you have a love of the art form and um, you have a love, you have an appreciation for uh, the filmmaking craft and for acting and for all of the other elements that are involved in making up a movie, uh, screenwriting and, uh, producing and sound and lights and just all of the little things that most people don't necessarily think about when they think about going and reviewing a movie professionally. And it's also a great deal of responsibility because, you know, I compare it to being a financial advisor mm. on some levels, particularly now when going to the movies and not out of the movies is literally an investment, right. you know, both in time and money. And so you want to be able to provide your reader with, um, you know, with uh, balance and an honest guidance because they are making an investment in that experience that you're recommending. And most of them, uh, most film critics have, may have come from a more of a traditional journalism background to start and before making that shift. Is that correct? 
uh, a great many do. A great many uh, pivot into it for a variety of different reasons. Um, I mean, you have a lot of people, unfortunately, today who call themselves reviewers and critics, and they're really in it for the wrong reasons. They're in it for the the limelight and the fanfare and the opportunity to interact with celebrities. Um, you know, and Hollywood makes it very, very attractive to, you know, to operate in that space, you know, with all of the different um, uh, gifts and, and uh, the attention that's lavished on you and, and, you know, and that's fun. You know, you travel around the country, uh, you stay in first class accommodations, um, I mean, it can be a real, real heady experience. You know, you're staying at the same hotel, you're going to your room and Will Smith gets on the elevator, he's going to his. Right. I mean, you're both at the same hotel. That's right. So um, after, if you've do been doing it as long as, as I did it, and you know, you, it, you know it's, just, it's just what you do. But, um, so yeah, there, there is a danger of that, that you do have some people who, who are attracted to it because of those, uh, the superficial things. Right. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, journalists who transfer into it, you know, who pivot into it from, uh, you know, from the business section or from sports or from, uh, you know, some other uh, uh, lane in media. Um, yeah, most of them will be fine because most of them understand, um, you know, the ethics and respect the ethics of being a journalist. Mentioned um, in terms of the expense of the work, and, and especially for those who are just starting and coming up into it, the expense sometimes is on their own, not on the publications that that uh, may hire them. Um, do you see that as a factor into why there are such a low number of African American film critics? in terms of, of, of that expense um, that goes into the work at the beginning? Yeah, and I mean, especially so, more so now than when I, um, you know, started my career. Um, I mean, you know, the, uh, the media landscape today is so different than what it looked like back in, um, you know, the early nineties. And so, I mean, you had enough publications, you had enough media outlets that could actually sustain you, right. you know, could sustain a life. I mean, nowadays, I mean, where is the media? I mean, you know, uh, publications have have downsized to the point of, you know, skeleton crews, and are they've gone out of business altogether? Mm -hmm. And the fees, the rates that you could charge when I got into the business, um, have shrunk as well. So, whereas back in the day, you know, if I wrote a cover story, or if I even wrote two features, you know, that was, I was being paid enough money to pay my rent. Right. You know, and then you figure you pick up a two or three more checks, you know, for a review here, um, you know, a feature there, you know, that paid the rest of the bills and left you with some money, you know, uh, to uh, go out to dinner. Right. But nowadays, it's just, it's, yeah, it's the reality that it's become almost um, virtually impossible. You know, you had to your earlier point, you have 
veteran journalists with, you know, uh, with uh, uh, pedigrees, you know, who have to um, navigate their careers differently than they did, you know, 20 years ago, 15 or 20 years ago. That's right. No doubt. So tell me in terms of with, um, with the organization you found, African American Film Critics Association, um, uh, what is it that you aimed um, to, to be in terms of a presence in Hollywood, as well as a resource to those, um, to those who want to go into the industry? Wow, well, the whole Hollywood trajectory has been interesting because the organization has really, um, you really, you know, has really become uh, an institution, you know, to borrow from Cheryl Boone Isaac, the former AMPAS president, uh, that is respected, you know, in the industry. And that, we'll have to have another conversation to talk about that ride. But, um, you know, we definitely are stakeholders in the community. Um, we definitely take our responsibility uh, and, you know, being advocates for first our community and also uh, other uh, historically disadvantaged communities uh, very seriously. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, outwardly, you know, we uh, certainly want to be able to extend to our members or to aspiring journalists, um, you know, an understanding of what they're getting into. And for me, I mean, really why I, uh, my personal reasons for starting this because I wanted, you know, the, their journey in, uh, in this to be easier, mm. you know, because it's uh, very com competitive. And, you know, if you don't have a helping hand, you know, you could easily just stop right. and, and, uh, and it would become a dream deferred, right. you know? Um, I mean, my personality and the fact that I, you know, am from LA and the fact that, I mean, frankly, I had, you know, parents who, you know, were willing to give me a little rope, you know, to experiment and to pursue uh, my dreams is the reason why I've been able to you know, create a life for myself in this uh, profession. But for most people, you know, I understand that for most people, that's unfortunately not, you know, their circumstances. So AFCA is meant to, um, you know, to the degree that we can help, right. uh, provide help and support for other, you know, journalists uh, who want to pursue, uh, you know, uh, the A&E, uh, you know, coverage, you know, arts and entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, because of course, nowadays, most uh, film critics are in fact, would probably be better called A&E journalists, simply because newsrooms don't really support having a singular person do film criticism. Typically in most newsrooms, uh, if, you're, um, if you're writing about film, you're probably also taking on other writing functions like you know, doing profiles. Right. Uh, you might be even covering music as well or covering an art opening, but they're definitely uh, utilizing the talent, uh, you know, a lot differently than they did back in the day. You were, you were um, uh, referencing in terms of the 90s and, and 
I think for the for most the general public, when you think of a film critic in the nineties, the you know you think had of a full time job. That's right. That's right. They were full time jobs. You think of a Cisco and Ebert at Chicago Sun Times. You think of it and 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 on air um, being able to be the name behind um, so many of it. Today, you think of a Rotten Tomatoes, which is more of a uh, an, a, a percentage based on a number of critics who are all giving their specific rating and then just clumps them into one number that, um, that, that takes away their voice, their name, their, their background. And I'm wondering their race, you know, uh, you know, are there, are there black voices behind those? Uh, well, you know, I'm on a committee there at Rotten Tomatoes where we um, sort of evaluated a lot, a lot, oh my God, it took months of their, uh, of their Rotten Tomato journalists, or the people that report there, report in there. And um, I'm happy to say that, you know, now when you go to Rotten Tomatoes, they have some sort of indicator of like this person is Rotten Tomato certified right. with a star, with a bullet, uh, which is to, supposed to denote uh, that this person's uh, status, you know, has been verified and that their uh, viewpoints are respected by the industry. Right. And so again, I was happy because uh, a number of our members who are members of AFCA were selected and a, and a number of Black journalists who um, who aren't AFCA members, but whose work I felt certainly uh, deserved that type of attention and rating uh, were selected. So, so yeah. yeah. And in fact, we're developing a program with them that we'll be announcing later on in the year uh, designed around film critics of, of color, you know, uh, Black film critics specifically. Um, so yeah that's great how how um i would it sounds like that is um definitely moving the needle in terms of where um the industry was uh, in terms of 2003 but it also seems like that that um moving of the needle that progress is only takes place when uh, folks like yourself help build and and grow organizations devoted to that um uh, specific. I think of a of another organization of a, of a good friend of yours. Uh, I think of Array, and and the work in terms of that they are doing of making sure that African American directors um, are able to give opportunities, producers and the like, but also building um, those roles for those technical jobs. Um, that in terms of what it takes in order for for you to gain those grounds, you um, um, over the years to build up to. Um, um, being a name in Hollywood. Yeah, and I mean, literally what Ava's doing is fantastic with uh, a Ray crew because those below the line crew jobs are really the meat and potatoes of the industry. Those are jobs that allow you to feed your family, send your kids to college, pay the mortgage and put you know money away for retirement. I mean, really. So, um, You know, like you stated, I mean, I agree completely that uh, usually when we found organizations, uh, we are uh, very 
conscious and a very intentional about, um, you know, opening doors for uh, people who look like ourselves, people who are, you know, who share our, our, our ethnic, our racial background and history. Um, there are other groups that, um, you know, provide support and do have done a good job at it. But certainly when we're doing it, we uh, give it extra attention. Right. You know, and I think the commitment, uh, just, speaking for myself and uh, Ava, I know the commitment there is, uh, is, is real and is uh, doubly so. No doubt. And we speak of um, um, the Oscar-nominated director of Selma, Ava DuVernay, um, the founder of Array Crew. Um, Gil, uh, getting back to in terms of what, what AFCA um, uh, has done over the years to what they're about to do. Um, over the past few years, you've had an award ceremony that now becomes part of the award season um, that you all recognize. Um, uh, tell us about um, your upcoming award show. Uh, when is it? How can folks uh, find it? And who who are some of the folks that you all are um, you'll be honoring? Oh wow, this would be uh, the twelfth after awards. It's been twelve years. And we will be honoring, uh, you know, it's like any other award show. Um, you know, our categories are from best picture, you know, to uh, best screenplay writer. Right. Uh, our winners are people like Andre Day, who literally set the screen on fire as Billie Holiday and the United States versus Billie Holiday. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who uh, was another amazing performance from him in Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, in fact, is our best picture. Uh, you know, Charles King, uh, 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 Ryan Coogler, uh, producers along with Shaka. Um, All In, The Fight for Democracy, Stacey Abrams' journey uh, to, I mean, literally uh, to flip Georgia is, is saying a lot. If if you didn't know, you know now. <laughs> and you, you, now can, you, can, you can speak to that as a Georgia as a Georgia resident. <laughs> yeah, as a part-time Georgia resident, I most certainly can. That what she did was literally uh, almost impossible. You know, uh, and so uh, that's our winner of our best doc. And uh, uh, the film also earned our Stanley Kramer Award, which is an award that we give out with the family of Stanley Kramer, who was a, uh, a legendary Hollywood director. And it's the Stanley Kramer Social Justice Award. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, uh, Harriet won, uh, produced by uh, Deborah Martin Chase, along with uh, several others. Um, so we have Mariah Carey, who's getting our Innovator Award presented by Nissan. And we have, um, George C. Wolf, the uh, Broadway and Hollywood producer, film and plays, uh, who's getting our Salute to Excellence Award. Uh, that is sponsored by Diageo. We have Shaka King, who is getting an Emerging Filmmaker Award sponsored by Facebook. And we have um, Viola Davis, who is receiving our Icon Award 
that is sponsored by ad color so we've gotten all of those plugs in absolutely there you go <laughs> uh so yeah it's going to be a terrific show it's uh airing on april 17th and it'll be available on uh for those of you who have comcast it'll be available on their black experience vertical under uh on uh, the africa channel uh for those of you who don't have comcast it will be on uh fox soul on the 17th congratulations and then the event that we're doing next week is a private one uh, i'll you'll, i'll send you a link <laughs> you know? so you know and that'll come with all of the different you know we'll we'll, we'll try to with that a great event it'll mirror as much as we can uh the in the room experience so right. you know we're going to be sending out well anyway i'll send you a letter this sounds like a great event. Um, uh, those who are listening will can check in with me about how <laughs> how the private events went. <laughs> um, you know, you got to give people what they expect. Absolutely, and, and especially when, when in, in terms of award season, being able to uh, uh, celebrate and recognize uh, a lot of new names. But among those new names. Um, uh, uh, I want to give a, a shout out as you're talking to a DC crowd um, to Howard Howard University alum, um, the late uh, Chadwick Boseman, who's, who you all are honoring for Best Actor. Yes, Chadwick is receiving our Best Actor award, and yeah, I mean his wife accepted, and just you know, I mean, my God, I I was went to bed early that night, and. Um, my phone rang and it was a reporter from USA Today. And uh, he was like, Gil, do you have a comment? And he could tell that I thought that I was asleep and uh, you know, he gave me a second. And I was like, what? And just unbelievable. I mean, of course, death is something that's gonna happen to all of us, but certainly you didn't expect this to happen, it to happen so soon uh you know because of his age and but the nicest man i mean really just so not affected by all of the you know hollywood stuff and so it was really 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 you know shocking to uh you know he always so yeah i mean the performance merited the award but we as a as a human being and uh, to the extent that I knew him, you know, socially in Hollywood, uh, just a real nice person, right? You know, uh, that'll be that will be a treat to see. Um, and we're doing a big memorial to uh, in memorial to Cecily Tyson, who obviously, I mean, she was ninety six, but still, who saw that coming? Absolutely. <laughs> Let alone uh, days after she released her 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 one and only memoir i got a call from another uh from condes presley uh who's my neighbor here and georgia and she was like gil i'm just you know and i said give me a minute and so i texted someone who uh who's uh who uh whose tv show she was recently in and i was like is this true and she said yeah and so I went back to Condos and I was like, yeah, it's true. Like Cecily Tyson, I mean, you know, she's 96. So, you know, it's coming, but you just didn't think it was coming. Like you said today. 
That's right. And when it came. That's right. And so we've put together a very, very nice uh, package to from us to her legacy to send her home. So uh, it's being uh, introduced in, uh, by uh, Kosa Rockmore, who played uh, her caregiver on um, Cherish the Day, which was a show on OWN, uh, uh, produced by Ava DuVernay. So we're, um, yeah, it was a year. Absolutely, it, it, it certainly has been. Um, I wanna do a, um... I want to do a lightning round uh, with you. And I want to do a lightning round and just give your first thoughts on uh, what you, what your organization has identified as the 10 top films of the year. Um, um, just considering that uh, if, let's assume that folks don't have Netflix and Disney Plus, and HBO Max and Peacock and insert <laughs> insert streaming service here uh, to be able to hear from you as an industry um, a leader as any journalist as a, a film critic in your own right. Uh, uh, I'll go. I'll start with the United States versus Billy Holiday. Oh my God! You've got to watch it. I mean, not only Lee is. Uh... <laughs> is so very talented and Andra Day gives the performance of, of uh, hopefully not a lifetime because I would really love to see more of her, but she um, gives a betrayal of Billy Dee that's so raw and honest and, and just cut so deep that, um, that yeah, it's definitely worth the, the two hours. Miss Juneteenth. Love the film, our members love the film. Uh, particularly the female members, um, but I think it's a story that both men and women can enjoy. Uh, Nicole Bihari uh, is consistently delivers solid performances, and um, you know it's a, a wonderful film. Right. And number eight, you all have uh, Minari. Great movie, you know, uh, it's a story that should be told, a story that needs to be seen, particularly, you know, in the aftermath of uh, the um, anti-Asian uh, attitudes that have, you know, uh, I won't say sprung up because they've always been there, but have recently made the news. And yeah, it's a very well told story, very well directed solid performances. Um, Number seven is The Five Bloods. Yeah, I mean, uh, Spike gave us this time an understanding of the war experience through uh, the lens of Black men. There were so many Black men who fought, you know, in, in, in war since the Revolutionary War, but seldom have you had a chance to look into their interior lives. And that's what, uh, you know, what the Five Bloods uh, finally gives us an opportunity to see. So, you know, Chatwick was excellent in it, but so was Delroy Lindo, you know, and the other men who were uh, part of that cast, just um, a wonderful piece of work. Number six is American Skin. Nate Parker just really outdid himself with this. Um, 
uh, 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 just, I actually saw it. He showed it to me in, I mean, in 2019, uh, we actually hosted a small screening for him in Atlanta and he was about to take the movie to the Venice Film Festival. And so they stopped en route here for the film, which basically follows a father in the aftermath of a black father in the aftermath of his son's killing uh, at the hands of the police. And just what his reaction uh, becomes. And uh, in, in the age of uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and I mean, just pick a name. Right. It's, yeah. And number five, Night of the Kings. Oh, Philippe Lecoult. He's a, um, from Abidjan, he's from Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, it's a French film, English subtitles, amazing director, offers uh, as a black American an opportunity to see and understand uh, our identity as African descended people uh, uh, in a way that uh, I certainly hadn't been exposed to. And I'm, I'm in my 50s, so I would recommend you see it. I mean, you often, I know for me, you often think, oh, well, what would I be like if I, you know, if we, none of this had ever happened and we just remained in Africa. And, right. you know, some of the folklore and some of the, uh, you know, that we, the stories that it exposes, I was like, wow, okay, I never knew this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, that's not what the, the film is about, but in telling the story that's set in a prison outside of Abidjan, um, you, um, you just learn a, a lot more about um, uh, the West African, you know, tradition, things that are important and things that we should know, but we don't. Oh, I love it. I'm, I definitely got to check that out. Number four is Nomadland. Oh my God. I mean, uh, Chloe and Francis, uh, you know, when Francis McDermott sinks her teeth into something, it's, it's over. It's game over. And um, another important story about <clears throat> uh, a scene that exists in this country, but is little talked about you know, people who uh, who live transient lives mm -hmm. and how they manage to make that work for them. Uh, yeah, a great story. Rounding out the top three, uh, number three, My Rainey's Black Bottom. I mean, George C. Wolf, Viola Davis, Chadwick, Coleman Domingo, Glenn Turman, uh, Michael Potts, uh, Dusan Brown, um, where do you go wrong? How can you go wrong? It's impossible. Number two, One Night in Miami. Regina King. I mean, <laughs> excellent. You know, she continues to push and expand. You know, I've known Regina for 20 plus years and it's been a pleasure to watch her um, overcome and continue to grow and continue to um, challenge herself uh, as a creative force. And so, yeah, and I mean, and Aldis and uh, Leslie and um, are terrific. And the other two young men whose name escaped me are very promising 
Um, wonderful piece. Great. And number one is Judas and the Black Messiah. Fred Hampton, I mean, yeah, you know, in, in an era where Black Lives Matters, this really underscores that in, in watching this warrior, this um, Black prince uh, who was killed, who, who didn't even, you know, was 21. And to have that kind of power, you know, but, but, uh, but, uh, you know, Daniel uh, Kalua and Lakeith Sansfield give phenomenal performances. Uh, Dominique Fishback is certainly an actress you want to keep your eye on. Uh, and Shaka King is a very talented brother and is another person you want to keep your eye on. Right. You know, and all of those films can be found on the After Channel on Comcast. Excellent. Excellent. Definitely. Um, for for DC residents who who uh, uh, as uh, who have Comcast, and definitely be able to access that here. Starting yeah. April one. Starting April first, uh, which is today. Uh, Gil, uh, you've understood the importance of the written. You definitely understand the importance of the written word. Uh, we not run an organization. We you actively write. Um, you're also an author, uh, but they've not been around entertainment. Um, talk about your work. Um, and when, when you're inspired to write uh, in terms of books? Well, I only became, uh, went into a &E journalism because I wanted to write books. And my thinking at that time, which was oh, many, many years ago in 90, um, the very first thing I had published was a review of Kissing You by uh, Keith Washington. That's how I keep track of it. So whenever that single came out and just exploded, was my first writing assignment. And I wasn't even paid for that, but it was my very, very first time I ever saw my name in print uh, with a review. And so um, yeah, the uh, it was just meant so that when I, you know, sent wrote my book proposal that uh, an editor would say, oh yeah, I know I recognize that name and would maybe give my proposal a little bit more consideration than if they didn't, had never heard the name. And so that's why I started embarked on this career. And of course, uh, it took, you know, um, 15 years later, you know, because of course, uh, I had to ride that out and, and experience what that was going to be. And so came back and, uh, and started the whole thing with uh, with books, you know, which is my first love. You know, I love to read books. At uh, as a kid, we had a small library in the house, and uh, my parents, you know, had a great appreciation for for books and reading. And um, the books that I mean, the first book was about AIDS. It was an anthology that I edited called "Not in My Family." That did very well commercially, very well critically, um, dealt with something that was important, you know, in our family, in my family, and my brother, you know, lived with the disease for 30 plus years. And so really wanted to examine um, how uh, African-American families were, were dealing with that. And the next one was Family Affair, which was the pick of the week with Publishers Weekly. The week it was it came out and dealt with black identity uh, in the age of Obama, 
And so that was filled with uh, some amazing essays that I had the pleasure to edit, including uh, one from, you know, Kathy Hughes, who I uh, had a great time, you know, working with her on her piece. And then we started, we decided to look at black love. So that's where, where did our love come from? Where did our love go, come from? And, and, and then since we've done, I mean, I've done a children's book, which looks at uh, politics, the next generation of politics, because I felt that um, for many of us, when you think of black politicians, uh, a great many people uh, turn backward instead of, you know, not seeing, you know, obviously everyone sees now the Kamala Harris and the Cory Bookers, but um, there is still the tendency to think about, you know, the Maynard Jacksons and the Tom Bradleys and uh, that generation and forget that you have a lot of very dynamic people who are making contributions today in the political uh, arena. Um, of course, it looks differently, but times are different. Right. And so it was a thrill to write that for uh, and to have it published by a black publisher, Just Us Books, Wade and Cheryl Hudson um, out of New Jersey. And so that project was a lot of fun. That's great. And um, uh, Gil. I don't think that was really what you asked me, though. No, it's, no it actually is. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled every anytime I can have an author uh, speak to. Uh, what's what's the inspiration around their writing, which is exactly what you what you pinpointed to. I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned having a library um, in your home um, with your work with the Film Critics Association. You actively work with libraries around the country. Um, talk about that a bit. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, again, we, I mean, we had, um, in the den, there were uh, two book cabinets. So that was the extent of their library. But there was always a set of encyclopedias there. My parents even invested in a set of African-American encyclopedias. And then, you know, all of the popular, you know, writers of the day, you know, somehow they managed to get a James Baldwin and a Richard uh, Wright and all of those folks in there too. I guess raising two boys, you know, they just decided to sneak those in. But um, it certainly wasn't anything extensive or grand, but uh, spent a lot of time at libraries growing up. Uh, used to love going to the library and the whole card catalog system and all of that. I used to, uh, sometimes I would uh, catch the bus up to USC and spend hours and hours and hours in their uh, archives and read copies of old Ebony's and other books and publications. And so, yeah, I grew up having a love affair with libraries and having a very strong understanding of their meaning and their place and purpose in our community. So when we started Africa, it was natural to, you know, work with libraries, you know. Um, and, so, and, and so, yeah, we work with the, our, we have a summer screening program that we're going into our fourth year. Uh, we partner with four libraries right now, uh, the uh, main branch of the LA Public Library uh, run by uh, Bill Zabo, uh, who's a good friend, uh, runs the second largest library system in the country. Um, and we, uh, we provide a platform in June, July, and August for anniversary titles. So last year, for instance, we did the 
uh, fifth year anniversary for Blackbird by Patrick Ian Pope. We did the 25th anniversary for, or it might be the 20th for Love and Basketball with Gina Prince-Bythewood. And we did the 30th anniversary uh, with Reggie Hutland with House Party. And so this year we're about to tee up our fourth season uh, with our library partners in LA, uh, here in Atlanta at Auburn Avenue Research Library, down in Florida at the Florida um, African-American uh, Library and Museum in Fort Lauderdale, and also at the Harold Washington Library in Chicago. Excellent. And so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We do a lot of things with libraries. I mean, libraries are there for the community. Right. And this is a community-facing event and uh, the community is definitely welcome. You know, the incredible thing, one year we did the, I think it was the 30th anniversary of coming to America. It was our very first event, I believe. And um, I was here and the only library we had a, a, a relationship with was LA and Atlanta. And the first event was in LA. So one of, uh, one of our other members, uh, um, you know, stood in for me. And uh, he's a much younger guy. And, um, you know, when he took pictures and filed his report and it was filled with people, he's under, he's just turning 30. So he was in his mid twenties then. And I was like, wow, a lot of young people came to see this film. And he says, yeah, man, he was like, uh, like, They've never seen it on a big on a, on a on a big screen before, right, right? And I was like, "Wow!" So it offers an opportunity for young people to experience these films for the first time, you know, in a movie uh, theater environment. Absolutely. And for those of us who remember their original air date, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it feeds us that piece of nostalgia. That's right. That's right. So it works on a multitude of levels. That's great. Um, I, I love that relationship terms uh, with the library, and you're absolutely right. It's it's, it's a community um, first and foremost. It is a center for the community. Uh, Gil, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's always great talking to you, but also within the course of a podcast, I get to ask more in-depth questions and, and and hear more about terms of the background, which I appreciate. Well, um, you know, I adore you, brother, and so <laughs> I'm just so glad that we had a chance to do this. Absolutely tell listeners one more time how they can uh, uh, find your uh, the AFCA awards of this year. Well, certainly we will be on the AFCA uh, channel on Comcast under the Black Experience on April 17th and also on Fox So, uh, which is all over the country. Um, you can, you know, for updates on what we're doing, you can certainly go to our website at aafca.com or on social media at AAFCA on both I, uh, IG and um, LinkedIn, and also the AFCA, T H E A A F C A on Twitter, and African American Film Critics Association on, um, on Facebook. Great. And all of the news and information and updates can be found that way. Special thanks to Gil Robertson, president of the African American Film Critics Association. AFCA Awards on April 7th, as you heard. You can find his books, Where Did Our Love Go? Family Affair and Not in My Family here at the DC Public Library. DC Public Library podcast is made possible in part 
by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and is a production of the labs at DC Public Library. Listen and subscribe at dclibrary.org slash podcast or wherever podcasts are available. Send us your comments at DCPL on Twitter or follow us at DC Public Library on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thank you for listening.